Go get him, Kobe and Chris. A couple of young lions in the house. It's our future right there. You guys are awesome. Um, so I'm not teaching today, so I just want to say a couple of things before uh, Mark comes up. Uh, he's on a teaching team, one of the pastors here in the church. Uh, if you're visiting, welcome. My name is John. I'm the pastor here at the Gathering Place Church. Secondly, uh, on the heels of what my wife was saying, um, how many of you have ever gone through s- seasons? Your marriage goes through seasons, parenting you go through seasons, in your career you go through seasons, in ministry you go through seasons. And um, I was talking to Christina Williams and Phil who uh, host a uh, marriage group here. I was at their house and their new connect group was about to begin. And uh, I said to them, you know, the Gathering Place Church isn't entering a new chapter, it's literally a new book. Uh, the old book has been closed. It's been 18 plus years. And uh, we went through a very difficult season. Um, we went through personally, as Hope went through cancer. Um, and we went through a difficult season as a church. And a num- number of people have moved on. Um, but in every new, new season, God births new things. And it's fresh. And it's clean and clear and wonderful. And that's where we are. So I, I, and you're a part of that. And so as I was telling them this, that we are literally in a brand new book and we're writing our brand new chapter. And I was telling Christine and Phil that you guys are a part of that. You're starting a connect group for marrieds and, and uh, it's just, you know, I can't think of two better people I'd rather overseeing and shepherding our married, married couples in the church. The next, the next morning I get an email from an intercessor who said, I had a vision of you last night in prayer, and you were opening up a brand new book, and you were writing on the first page. So the leadership, we don't want to overuse this statement, and, but, and, and we're not. It's real. We are in a brand new season here at the Gathering Place Church. The Lord is doing new things, wonderful things. Those seven people that gave their testimony last Sunday and the seven baptisms. I mean, he's just doing fresh new things. And uh, I'm invigorated, ready to go for another decade, do another run, see how many lives get changed over the next 10 years. It's just, it's just beautiful. So I just wanted to say that to you this morning so you know where we're at and where we're headed and we're expecting great things. This morning is very important. It's critical because of what's happening in our nation is unfortunate to say the least. And I'm sure you would all agree. That the tearing and ripping of our nation um, is counterproductive. And so as Mark and Jen and I, who are the senior leaders of the congregation, the elders, were talking about what the body needs, we all agreed that uh, we need to teach about how we, as the body of Christ, can be the solution in our nation. And so let's welcome Mark as he comes to teach us this morning. Thank you. Are we on? Sounds like it. I think we're on. Great. Good. Well, this message does come uh, out of the aftermath of the election. It also comes out of so much of what took place in the election. I could not escape this verse. Blessed are the peacemakers... 
for they will be called the children of God. And how many times have we heard that? Hundreds and hundreds of times? How often have we had to live it? Not as often. How many times have we had to think about it? I mean, really think about it. What is it to be a peacemaker? So we're going to look at a number of verses fairly quickly. And then I'm going to take off from those verses and draw some conclusions and some applications. So let's look at them. The first one is, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Do you see the connection between peacemaking and your identity? Interesting, isn't it? So if you are not in the peacemaking business, you have reason to question whether you're really a child of God. I know we shouldn't say that. It's a, it's a pretty forceful statement, but come on. It's the corollary of, of this verse. If we're not in the peacemaking business, are we really the children of God? Peace I leave with you. Other than the Holy Spirit who was to come afterwards, this is the only thing he left. Hello? Peace I leave with you. My peace. My peace. And he said, not as the world gives it. My peace. This means there's something resident in him which is bound up with our identity as God's children which he actually had the ability to leave with us for us. And it's in contrast to whatever peace the world gives. The world, you know, in my life, the world gives peace when everything's perfect. The marriage is going well. The finances are going well. Nobody's sick. My friends like me. My dog accepts me, etc., etc., etc. That's how the world gives peace, when everything's fine. That's not the peace that Jesus is talking about. It's not the peace that he left behind. It's the peace which surpasses anything circumstantial. Oh, I had a prophetic word um, last week at the baptism. Not sure you're here, but uh, it was a word. It, it was, he came out of the water and I said, the Lord says the word over you is peace. You're going to you're going to have a supernatural peace which when you come into situations will affect the people in the room and they won't even know it. They'll just begin to feel at peace. And I said to him, God wants you to consider this peace that you have like a substance. Like it actually is it's tangible. Like you carry it with you. And, and when you pray for someone, put their hand on them and say, the peace of God be with you, something actually happens. Like, we should think of peace as something substantial. When he says, I leave it with you, it means we now have something we didn't have before. And because he's infinite and he's the God of peace and Jesus is the Prince of Peace, we have something supernatural and unearthly. We have something to give away into situations. Don't let your heart be troubled and don't be afraid. If you've got this peace and you realize you can receive this peace and it's there for you, there's a whole lot of things you don't have to worry about. Like all the circumstances that bring the world's peace. You don't have to worry about those things. Because you have a peace that makes that really rather irrelevant. Since then we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. You're at peace with God. You don't have to question. You see, when you're a peacemaker, you're a child of God. When you have peace with God, you don't need to question your father-child relationship. You don't need to question your identity. You don't need to wonder, am I okay with you, Father? You are okay with me. Why? Because I've been good and perfect this week and haven't said one bad thing and haven't you know, cut anybody off in traffic? No, because of what Jesus did on the cross. Your peace has already been accomplished. It's a done deal. You simply receive it and you walk in it and you apply it. But its fact is certain. It's Therefore, we've been justified. We've been found without guilt through faith because we trusted in Him. We now have this thing called peace with God through Jesus. Look, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt amongst yourselves and be at peace with each other. The evidence of our relationship, our peaceful relationship with one another is the evidence that we haven't lost the savoriness of God. The flavor of God is still moving through us and affecting those around us because, how do we know that? Because we have peace with our brothers and sisters. Are you getting an idea of how important peace is? How it permeates every aspect of who we are? So, if all of this is true, if everything I've just said is true, this verse should make sense. Make every effort to live in peace with those you really like. Those you're stuck with. Oh, oh no, look at this. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone. Now it just got really hard. But you know, we don't need peacemakers with the people we get along with. There's no need for peacemakers when everything's perfect in the relationship. The only time you need peacemakers is when there's a lack of it in the relationship. So peacemaking becomes appropriate. Peacemaking becomes the issue exactly when we disagree and where we disagree and with whom we disagree. That's when peacemaking really, really matters. That's when we better be wired to supernatural peace because we're not going to find it inside of ourselves. Okay? We're just not. It is not in human nature to be peacemakers. It's in human nature to be people that take stuff and keep it. Thank God we have his peace. Now we get a little bit more practical. Remind the people to slander no one. That alone ought to do us in. This is where it becomes Titus. Paul now is becoming, he's talking to his, his protege, Titus, and he's giving him some instructions about church life. Remind the people to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle towards, oh Lord, there's that word again. If we could just take out of the Bible the words that suggest the impossible. 
Slander no one, be peaceable and considerate, and always be gentle towards everyone. Now, in all of these other verses, until we hit that, every other word, peace, came from one Greek word. Arana. But in Titus, it's a different word. Isn't that interesting? When Paul gets practical about how we apply peace, he now switches to a different word with a different meaning. So when he says, don't slander people, you be peaceable and considerate and always gentle towards everyone, he's not talking about simply the other kind of peace that every other verse was talking about. Before we turn to the verse, the, the, the word that Paul's talking about in Titus, let's look at the word peace used in every one of the other verses. And finally, in this last verse, let us therefore make a little bit of effort, when you have time and it's convenient, to do what leads to a compromise so that everyone walks away angry because they didn't get what they want. That's the New Living Mark translation of the Bible. <laughs> Let everyone make every effort to do every effort. Make every effort. This is strong, strong language he's using. Make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual building up. So everybody prospers when peace is happening. Now, this is the definition of all of those verses that deal with peace. It's a three-pronged definition when used in the Bible. The first one is this. A state of national tranquility. Yes, it is, isn't it? The first, it's, it, it, it is a state of national tranquility exempt from the rage and havoc of war. War and peace are being contrasted here. But it starts the definition with a state of national tranquility, exempt from rage and havoc. Are we there now? Are we living in a state of national tranquility in this country? No. Second definition of peace, Arane is peace between individuals. Where there's tranquility between individuals. Are we living in a country where there's tranquility between individuals? Well, somewhere, sometimes, with those that agree with us. We're perfectly at peace with those that agree with us. The problem is, every second person in this country... When you take a road trip across this country, every second person disagrees with you. Every second person. Listen, if you tried to come up with a def definition of disunity, that would be it. It's perfect disunity when every second person disagrees with you. And they don't disagree a little bit. They do disagree with all of their passion. The third definition biblically used of the word arane, peace, is the, now 
get this. This is so important. It is the security. Right? And contrast peace with anxiety, if you want. It is the security for Christians that comes from knowing that they have been forgiven for their sins and have unity with God through Jesus' death on the cross. Security. If we really understood our security, the issues we fight over would not be as passionate for us. I didn't say not true. Do you understand? They wouldn't generate as much internal heat and anger. I really, this is what John's message last week, if we really believed God was sovereign and on the throne, we wouldn't have to panic over not having our president elected. Our choice for governor. Whatever. Now this is interesting. If you study this Greek word for peace, arana, it comes from the primary root arrow, which means to join. Isn't this interesting? That peace and being joined together come from the same root. The idea is that peace is that state of relationships which exists when people who are apart are rejoined together. So you can't speak biblically about peace without speaking about reconciliation. Because firstly, as a Christian... Peace has been made between you and God by Jesus' death on the cross. That's your reconciliation. What was apart has become one. You've been restored to unity and connectedness with your heavenly Father. And miraculously, because of the extent of His love, when you've been reconciled to Him, you're instantly reconciled to all of your brothers and sisters. You're now part of a family. What was separate individuals seeking their own success and their own Lives, you're now part of a family together. Peace, connectedness has been made between God and you and now between you but and your brothers and sisters. Us. <laughs> he wants us to take this reconnection. He wants us to take this unity and spread it far beyond our family circle. He wants us to seek this connectedness with everybody. Everybody. Every second person that says you're a dirty, rotten, homophobic, racist bigot. I'm painting the other side in an unfair description, but you get what I... The people that have nasty things to say about you, God wants you to live at peace with them and to seek for reconnection and reconciliation. And you're saying that's impossible. And of course it is unless you have the peace of God. But if you have the peace of God, and that substance, that reality, you can apply that to any relationship that you're in. This is exactly what happens when we come to peace with God. When we enter into this state of peace with God, we receive His supernatural peace, which begins working within us. It is because we've received His peace that all of the foregoing commands become doable. We can become peacemakers because we are at peace, joined in unity with Him, and we've received His peace. 
It's not mission impossible. It's mission inconvenient. It's mission painful. It's mission costly to my pride and a bunch of other things. But it's not mission impossible. Why this message now? The elections made it clear we are a nation without peace. We have no national tranquility. We are terribly divided. We are not at war physically yet. But we are in a state of rage and havoc. If you hold any political opinion strongly, there's a good possibility every second person you meet may be your political enemy. And this wouldn't be so bad if it weren't for the rage and the hatred that we're seeing today. Hatred is ruling right now. Hatred. And hatred is never... Hatred always leads to violence. Always. Unchecked, it always leads to violence. The country is truly divided. We all know this. What matters is what God wants our reaction to be. That's all that matters. My political opinions don't matter to God. My reactions to my political opinions matter. You've got to get that, people. My political opinions are not the issue. How I deal with my political opinions, that's the issue. As difficult a role as it may be, it comes with a blessing. We're the children of God. When you make peace and you bring unity into the world around you, you will be recognized as a true child of God. And that looks good in your resume. So the question becomes, how do we become peacemakers? How do we bring people back together, or maybe together for the first time? Well, these verses begin to answer that question. So let me get very practical with you. There's several characteristics and actions which these verses bring forth, and let's go through them one at a time. We're going to go from degrees of internal to external. We're going to go from degrees of intimacy with God and with ourselves, through our families, through our friends, through our church, to our community, to to the country we live in. First, you must remind yourself that you already have peace with God. If you don't know you have peace with God, you have no resource from which to draw. What this means is that you have no reason to have a troubled heart or to be afraid. Your security is already taken care of. It isn't an issue. You have peace with God. He is your heavenly Father. He is going to take care of you. No matter what president is or isn't elected, no matter what law is or isn't passed, your heavenly Father is above the law. It does not threaten Him. The laws that we pass, the foolishness that we do, does not threaten This is something John's already spoken about a few weeks ago. Our trust is not in our government or who is our president. Our trust is in God who is sovereign over all. And we must continually remind ourselves of that because when we remind ourselves of that, we're drawing close to Him. And we are receiving by His Spirit more of that substance 
the power to be at peace. Number two, once we recognize and remind ourselves of our peace with God, now we can look horizontally. First is the vertical relationship of peace. The second is the application of that amongst the world of people. Be at peace with your Christian brothers and sisters. Right? Be at peace with your Christian brothers and sisters. And this includes your husband and your wife. And your children. Live at peace in the family. Be a peacemaker in your own home. In your own relationships. Peace starts at home in your marriage, your family, and your church. Your marriage, your family, your church. First God, then your wife or husband, or your family or your church as it goes out in concentric circles. Well, what if I'm single? Well, you have friends. You have extended family. Be the peacemaker there. Now, Paul gets really much more specific in the Titus passage, and the Titus passage is the one that we're going to land on. So let me just read it to you again, because this is where the rubber meets the road. Remind the people, slander no one. Be peaceable and considerate, always being gentle towards everyone. The word peaceable used in this passage, slander no one, be peaceable. It means be non-contentious. We're going to look at that definition. Slander no one, be peaceable. Be non-contentious and considerate. Be gentle towards everyone. And the word used for peaceable means be non-contentious. Okay, what does this mean? Slander no one. He starts by saying slander no one. First, God is telling us reject slander as a tactic. Okay? We don't get to slander. What this means is that attacking a person for the sole purpose of destroying their reputation is absolutely out of bounds and wrong. This is the tactic that ruled this election cycle. On both sides. That's all it was. It was just personal hatred and spite and vindictiveness and slander on both sides. That's all it was. Is that really how we want to win an election? Does this elevate us as a nation? We must stick to discussion of the issues that affect the country most rather than on personalities. Turn every discussion into a discussion of the issues wherever possible. I was at the gym last week and I came in and two of my friends, they're, they're in their 50s, and uh, 50s, one's in his 60s, the other in his 50s. And they're really nice guys. Everybody in the gym really likes them. And they were really upset. And, and they said, you wouldn't believe what just happened to us. And I said, what? And they said, some young millennial girl came over and told us to stop talking about the election because she was wounded and there were people in pain and we shouldn't be discussing the election. My first reaction was wishing I was there. And my second reaction was what I would have said. And my first helpful peace-building comment to her would have been, 
This is a 10,000 square foot gym with no walls. If you don't like someone's conversation, just walk six feet away. You won't hear it. That was my first Mark's unchristian reaction to what I wish I had the opportunity to say. Thank God I wasn't there. Because then I pondered it and I thought, no, you know, what should you say in a situation like this? And what I should have said, I wasn't there so I can't blame myself for not saying it, but what would have been the right thing to say would have been something like this. I absolutely understand how you feel. I've felt this way for eight years. No, I, no smart-ass thing there. I'm sorry. That, no, I don't mean it like that. I don't mean it like... Sorry for saying the word smart. Um, I really... Like, I'm, I, I get it. I know how much you hurt. I hurt too. But listen, right now, our pain isn't our biggest problem. And the, the, uh, the biggest problem we have is not who's in the White House. The biggest problem we have is that we hate one another. The biggest problem that we have is that every second person you meet as you do a road trip probably disagrees with you. And we're passionate about it. And right now our passion is getting in the way. We're disunited. We have no unity. That's the biggest problem we face. I understand your frustration. We all feel it at one time or another. What are we going to do about it as people? And I don't want to slander your favorite and don't slander mine. Let's begin to talk about this disunity issue. How can we begin to have a civil conversation which is gentle, non-slanderous, not contentious, and respectful? Well, that's my thanks. You stole my, stole my ending. You get it? The problem is not the problem. The problem is how we're reacting to the problem, which has created a much bigger problem that makes the problem insoluble. Hello? Second, God says, avoid being contentious. Well, I looked up the word contentious in my Webster's. It means this, to be heated, vehement, fierce, violent, and intense. So I tried to put this in a Christian context. What does it mean not to be heated, vehement, fierce, violent, or intense? And it struck me very clearly. What we're talking about here is self-control, which is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And it is a fruit of the Holy Spirit because it's the effect of the peace I have with God ruling my choices about my emotions and how I'm going to express them. It's self-control. When we let our emotions run free, we often end up expressing more anger than truth. And even when we're speaking truth, but we're, angry, we're, we're heated, vehement, fierce, maybe even violent and certainly intense, the person will not hear the truth we're speaking. They will hear the emotions we're expressing. And they will not respond to the truth we're speaking. They will respond to the emotions they're feeling coming from us. And the opposite of being contentious is being gentle. And this is what God's calling us to. He's calling us to exercise a degree of self-control we've probably never had to exercise before except in marriage. 
Early in our marriage, I learned to walk away from an argument at the point at which I knew that if I continued for another few minutes, I would lose all of my self-control and end up saying things which I would regret for the rest of our marriage. Have you ever been there? The minute I begin to lose my gentleness is the point at which I must withdraw from the discussion slash argument. Are you with me? Thank you. For, thank you for the amen, people. You're all like deer in the head. You look like you've just been assaulted by a semi-truck on the highway of life. This is bad. I know this is really bad. We can talk about something next week that's not so bad. But this is, this is needed. The same spirit you must exercise in your most important relationship, human relationship, your husband or your wife or your children. The same spirit of self-control you have to find there is the same one you're going to have to find with your neighbors and people at the gym. Right? Am I right? Come on. Come on. Just say, yeah, I hate it, but you're right. Yeah, I hate it, but you're right. So glad I came to church today. It used to drive Shelly absolutely crazy. We'd get into a real argument, and it hit a point where it's about to go nuclear, and I could feel the rage rising up inside of me, and I'd say to her, I have to go now. I'm, you know, I'm trying to pull away, and she's coming after me. She's not, she's not in the room, is she? Oh, yeah, she's crazy. She would get into such a rage because she thought I was rejecting her. She has issues. No, I... People, don't give her the CD of this message. And don't say you really need to hear it. It was a good one. I mean, she was adopted and into a family that was caught up in business and nobody had time for her and she was the youngest one and she lived with a spirit of rejection. So when I, when we're going like this and the relationship is in jeopardy, legit jeopardy, and then I decide I can't talk anymore, I need to go for a walk, all I'm doing is rejecting her and every single button she has, that panic button is being pressed. So I would have to say, I'm not rejecting you. I, I'm just afraid of what I'm going to say or do that will hurt you if we carry on. I'll come back and we'll talk about it when I'm calm. Because right now I'm on the edge of an explosion. And it was really hard for her to let me go. But we got in the habit when things start to get ugly, we just back off for a while and rest. And, and, and I make an appointment. I'm not backing out of this discussion. I care about this, but I can't do it this way right now. It's not good for us. So I'll, make, I'll be back in a couple of hours. We'll make an appointment. We'll get back into this. But if I come back and we start and it goes like this again, then I'm, I'm stopping again until we can talk about this with gentlemen. We had to do that to, to, to save our marriage. We just had to. And I'm telling you, it works. And you can apply the same principle to any argument that you're being sucked into. Because it never seems like you look for them, 
You get sucked into them. I found myself in an argument with a total stranger. Why? He had on a t-shirt I didn't like. I felt compelled to stand for truth. So I told him he was a complete idiot. And he was going to hell. He didn't accept my help. I don't understand these non-Christians anyway. The goal of peacemaking is bringing people together in ever-increasing unity. No one wants to be joined to someone who expresses nothing but hatred towards them. If we cannot speak in a spirit of love, then we should be silent until we can. Hello, self-control. If we cannot speak in a spirit of love, then we should be silent until we can. The wonderful thing is that we Christians have an infinite supply of love to draw upon. We are in a unique position. We have a resource that no one else has. We have the infinite supply of God's love. The beginning of unity is love, and the beginning of love is listening well. It is nothing lowers a person's defenses or calms their anger like being listened I mean really listen to. Psychologists tell us that for most people, being listened to is synonymous with being loved. And not the kind of listening which is waiting for a moment to speak and set them straight. The kind of listening which seeks to really know the other person and understand why they believe what they do. So someone expresses rage that their candidate didn't win. And you've got a thousand reasons why they shouldn't have won. But rather than get into that, you say this. I'd like to understand your position, and I'd like to understand you better. Tell me why it matters so much to you. Tell me what it touches inside of you, this loss. What were you hoping for that didn't happen? What are you afraid of now? And then just let them talk. Just let them talk and listen and pay attention because you might come to understand who they really are. You might get a glimpse of a good person inside that's frightened or deeply disappointed and doesn't know how to deal with it. And you might make a friend. And if you make a friend, you have an opportunity to be Jesus. If you make a friend. We've got to be a people that listen really, really well. In the world today, what we need is people that listen really, really well. And we can be those people. (laughs) I, I wrote this down. We Christians can be great listeners because we're regularly listened to by the best listener of all. Isn't that the truth? I told you about in my marriage, it wasn't going very well and I was having my quiet time in the backyard and the Lord said to me, put a thought in my head and the thought was, um, what's the greatest gift I give to you? And you know, I know I'm supposed to say Jesus' death on the cross and I'm supposed to say a bunch of theological stuff, but I didn't. I was honest with him. I said, you really listen to me. And this is what he said, you don't listen to your wife. Right between the eyes. You set me up with that fake question. 
and you've cooked my goose. He said, you don't, you don't listen, you don't listen to your wife. And uh, of course I don't. Why should I? I said, what do you want me to do? And he said, you know how you go to the spa? After work, you always go to the spa for half an hour, the two of you. The community spa. And I said, yeah. And he said, invite her to talk for half an hour and don't say a word. I said, oh, no. I'll just go get a gun and shoot myself. It'll be so much quicker and less painful. He said, go and invite her to speak for half an hour and shut up and don't say a word and just let her talk. And I thought, I'm trained as a lawyer. I can't let her talk. She's going to slander and puke her pain all over me and I will just have to, I'm not taking that. (laughs) Foolishly, I told her what God said to me and she she got really excited. When do we start? (laughs) Oh, no. Don't you understand? I wasn't suggesting we do it. I'm just saying it was a bad idea God had. Don't you understand me? Don't you know me by now? She said, when are we going to start? I said, oh, God, help us this afternoon. Oh, boy, she couldn't wait. She's already. So we go over there, and she just starts dumping all this darkness all about me. It has been saved up for years, and it just bleh, bleh. And I'm just, I'm cowering like, I didn't realize, I didn't realize that the Soviet problem was mine. I didn't know I caused that. I found out. Then I found out that peace in the Middle East was my problem. I caused that too. And we got to cancer and things like that. It was all my fault. I couldn't believe it. And then I started to defend myself. She said, God said a half an hour. It's not up yet. In fact, there's 25 more minutes. No! No! Guys, we went, at, we went and did that for, well, we've been doing it every day for over 10 years. Yeah, the first, oh my God, the first three or four months. Mm. Oh, 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 tell me more. Mm. Really? Mm. It was horrible. Self-control? Self-control? But after several months, what happened was, there wasn't as much dark stuff. There was some grays, and then there was some moments of light. And it wasn't all my fault anymore. Some of the problems now had to do with her other relationships, and things in work, and her health, and this, that, and the other thing. Gradually, she came to a place of balance where she could speak about the dark stuff in our relationship, and I, I actually listened. And that took most of the problems away. And we've been doing that for over 10 years. We, it's just like part of our life. It's the essential you, you can part learn of self-control. You can learn to listen. It's hard, but you can do it. Because we're listened to by the greatest listener of all. Yeah, that's a good one. Now, here's the thing. Here, I, I'm going to end right away. It's ending. My belief is that Christians have an opportunity today to make this present situation better or worse depending upon how we react. And as I was thinking about this, the Lord gave me an example. I believe it was prophetic, so I'm going to share it with you. It's a contemporary example of what the role of the Christian community in America could be. 
It's the example that has to do with South Africa. We're all aware of the racial divide that ruled South Africa for most of its history. The white Afrikaans, the white European settlers, ruled over the black South Africans in what was little more than slavery. And we are aware of the, ro- of the role of de Klerk, the head of the government who represented the whites. And we're aware of the role of Nelson Mandela, God bless him, who represented the blacks. But we are not aware of the role of Bishop Desmond Tutu, the head of the South African church. It was the church through the mediation of Bishop Tutu that brought about the kind of peace that made dialogue possible that led to the death of apartheid. Now the media will not talk about that, but I've talked to South Africans who are close to the situation. It was the role of Desmond Tutu as a mediator of grace and listening and gentleness and non-contentiousness, which brought about an atmosphere between the two sides where they could sit down and talk about the future of their country. And apart from the church's role in that, it would not have happened. It's time we saw ourselves as Christians as mediators of a respectful discussion rather than as one side of an argument. We must see ourselves as mediators of a respectful discussion rather than one side of an argument. Now, does this mean we don't hold our opinions? We hold our opinions, but we also hold our tongue. Long enough to establish a climate of respect and gentleness. So we can create a place that's safe enough that both sides can talk about what they really care about. And we can join on issues, not personalities and slander. We earn trust as we become respectful listeners. And here's my final application. And just one more practical application. What you write on Facebook cannot be erased. The emotions behind what you write come through louder than your words. When you gloat or vent on Facebook, you are not looking your readers in the eye. He or she is not a real person to you. And so you are tempted to say things you would never say to a real person standing in front. I I will not enter into political discussions on Facebook. And believe me, the temptation is there all the time on every issue. I won't do it. In my experience, Facebook is Satan's temptation to me to lose my self-control and indulge my ungodly anger. Hint. Hint. Be so careful how you use that. Because you can't take the words back. Ever. Okay. That was horrible. <laughs> let's got an idea. Let's let's take a moment right now to give God our anger and our fear.
Let's just take a minute just just to give to him because he's the perfect listener and he can take it. Let's just give over to him our anger and our frustration and let's let him replace it with his peace. Okay? So close your eyes. We'll just do this little this little mental picture, this little exercise. Picture for a minute. I want you to not saying you're seeing the historical Jesus or something, but just in your mind's eye, see him standing in front of you. Like he's just there in front of you, which by his spirit, he is there in front of you. And imagine that you can reach inside your heart and you can take hold of the anger and the fear and the frustration that you've been living with. And it may not merely be political. I mean, it could be in your marriage. It could be in your work. It could be in your friendships. Oh, it could be a million places. But you can take hold of, with your own hands, you can reach into your heart, and you can take hold of the frustration and the fear and the anger. Like it's a substance. And you can take it, and you can lift it out, and you can stretch out your hands, and you can hand it to Him. And I want you to see yourself just scooping out of your heart and your emotions and your, and your belly, the place where you keep your frustrations and your anger and your lack of peace, and take hold of that and just stretch it out to Him and hand it to Him. Just hold it out in your hands and hand it to Him. Say, I don't want this. I am so tired of this. And watch what he does. What does he do? Give it to him. And he takes all of that from you, and it disappears. And then he reaches inside his heart. He takes peace. Takes peace from himself and he reaches out and puts it into you. He gives you his peace. He says, My peace I give to you. Receive it. Because this isn't the world's peace. This is my peace. I'm giving it to you. So just receive it. Apply it to your heart, your emotions, and your thoughts. Now see yourself applying it to your relationships, family, kids, parents, your friends. See yourself applying this everywhere it's needed. And he says, when you need more, just come back to me. Just come back to me. I've got more than enough.